Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard It made him Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 4-346 of the Run, Run, Live podcast, and thank you for listening. Sometimes I don't hear from you for a while, and I get lonely, and I wonder if anybody is listening, and I thought it might be due to a lack of positive feedback, so thank you. You see, I grew up in the 70s, and we were all about positive feedback. That's why baby boomers are so needy. The topic of today's show is Sparta, Spartan. I interviewed Joe DeSena, the owner of Spartan Races, and he's a tightly wrapped dude with one of those clear, focused minds and a, and a work ethic to support it. Very, very successful guy. Very straight arrow. And in the first section, I'm going to talk through my initial impressions of the Spartan Race and its training program. And I have one coming up in September, and I'm starting to worry about my fitness level. And I express my concerns about things like, oh, not being able to do more than two pull-ups to my coach. And he said, I'm taking it too seriously. And I quote, a Kardashian could do that race, except he's not the one running it. In the second section, I'll think a bit on our fascination with Sparta and what it says about us. My training is focused on strength and biking right now. I gave my Achilles a week off after the trail marathon, but not really because I was down at the Cape over the weekend and I was walking on the beach and riding for hours and hours and it was, it was great to spend time with myself, but I think I may have overdone it a bit because when I came back, I tried to do an hour 30 run on the roads and I ended up walking the last mile back. It was the heat and the Achilles. So now I'm giving it some more time to heal. I'm stretching and massaging and rehabbing and spending time on the bike and working on my strength, my core. Sparta! It's a good time of year to be taking a break from running because it's still super hot and humid out. And speaking of hot and humid. I watched the Women's Olympic Marathon, and I thought Amy and Shalane and Desi did a really good job of running their plans. Very professional. And they hung with the best runners in the world, and they all finished in the top 10, and they inspired me. And I'm sure 
they'll inspire the next generation of American women as well. Buddy, the old wonder dog, is doing well. Thank you for asking. He's almost all recovered from his lump surgery, and that should make him more comfortable in the short run. It's still too hot for him. He hasn't been running with me, and he hasn't been running at all, except for when what he normally does when we go for walks off-leash in the woods. This time of year, we get a lot of thunderstorms rolling through at nighttime with all the energy in the atmosphere, and Buddy does not like thunderstorms at all. Katie brought his crate up to the living room, and when it gets really bad, we can put him in there in puppy jail so he doesn't hurt himself because the thunderstorms just make him mental. He'll go into the tub, the bathtub, in the girl's bathroom or into one of the closets and just start digging. <laughs> so we cage him up for his own protection. By the way, I went for a follow-up visit with my heart doctor, and there's nothing wrong with me that they can see. Well, physically, that is. Well, there's nothing wrong with my heart, <laughs> which is good. And that leads me to conclude that my issues earlier in the summer were due to the heat, jet lag, and that case of pneumonia with the consequential course of antibiotics to fix it. So basically my mind, my body, and my soul are out of sync, which is why I'm focusing a bit on doing some foundational bio-reengineering in this month of August. But remember, first of all, that the uh, Run Run Live podcast is ad-free and listener-supported by you, and I do this by offering a membership option where you can get access to exclusive members' audio. Last week, I uploaded an essay on why vacationing is so hard, <laughs> and I'm also still working on getting a separate feed set up for iTunes to make it easy for you. And so for the cost of a pack of clean and clear oil-observing facial wipes to you know, remove that extra shine off your brow, you can be a member of the Run Run Live support crew. Links are in the show notes and on my site at runrunlive.com. So my re-engineering project is a 30-day 5 a.m. project. The anchor of this project is that I'm getting up early every day, as close to 5 a.m. as I can manage. And the other attributes of this project are no alcohol, work on my nutrition plan to get stronger, rebuild my healthy biome, and get leaner, work on my next book, and post a daily accountability video on YouTube to keep the project going. It has been going well. I haven't hit the 5 a.m. every day, but I've been close enough to be within the spirit of the exercise. I have eliminated alcohol and have been eating clean and focusing on foods that will have a positive impact on my insides. This weekend, I made kvass, which is fermented beet juice. And I made pickles using the cucumbers from my garden. I am such a homebody. The work on the book has been doing a lot of circling the work and not actually doing the work, but I'm positive. My creativity tends to come in bursts. And I've gotten the videos, the accountability videos, up every day consistently, and you can see them if you're interested in that sort of thing at my YouTube channel, which is C-Y-K-T Russell, Chris Yellow King Tom Russell, with two S's and two L's. So I've really learned or relearned some valuable lessons from this project. First thing is that when you're dealing with a stable system like your body, even 
if it is stable in a place you don't like, you have to be careful with the quantity and magnitude of changes. Any changes you make are going to cause the system to oscillate. A stable system is stable because it has inertia. It doesn't want to change. A stable system resists change and has a memory. It's like a rubber band. The more you pull, the more it resists, and it always pulls in an effort to return to the stable state. So biological slash mental systems are not digital. You can't just expect to insert a stimulus and leap to a different state. When you insert a stimulus, the system won't change digitally or even linearly. It will wobble as the opposing forces push and pull. And the more things you try to change, the more random the wobbling feels. In my project, I was trying to change sleep patterns, nutrition, my coffee intake, my alcohol consumption, all at the same time. And in the first 10 days, my system wobbled. There were days that I was starving. And there were days where I was so tired I couldn't think or function. And there were days when I felt depressed and defeated. And when you make changes in anything, when you want to innovate in your life, you have to be prepared to suffer through an adjustment period. That's, that's my learning, the whole point. So I have shared with you before the metaphor that says all projects follow sort of a U-shaped curve. When you first start the project, it's all unicorns and rainbows and enthusiasm. When you get to the middle of the project, it turns into an endless, seemingly hopeless slog of work. But as you get closer to the finish line, it becomes hopeful again. Another useful metaphor I heard recently is to picture yourself standing on a mountaintop. You have climbed successfully to the top of this mountain, but now you want to innovate or improve to a new state. Well, picture that new state or that innovation, that improvement as another higher mountaintop that you can see across the valley. You know how to get there. You have to go down into the valley and work your way over and climb up the other side to get to this new peak. That's what innovation or change or improvement is like. Identify that next peak. Keep the vision of that new and next peak in your mind's eye, even as, especially when, you lose sight of it in the tangled underbrush of the valley. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Spartan Fit. Overview of the Spartan training and the race. I signed up for a Spartan race this year, a Spartan beast. That's the first step, right? You got to register, then you're committed, then you have that event anchor, and the rest is details. So the first detail is, so what the heck is a Spartan race, anyhow? And if you go by the description, the one I signed up for is a 13-mile race with 30-plus obstacles. In practice, what does that mean? And at first, I really had no idea. I had a vague sense of what an obstacle race was, but nothing else. So the website gives some explanation of how it works. These are big events with thousands of participants, the only way they can get all those bodies on the course is to start them in waves. It's not as much a running race as it is a course with a number of stations built into it that they run these waves of runners across. So 
A question I had was, does being a distance runner help? Being a fast runner might get you between the obstacles quicker, but doesn't seem to offer much else in terms of advantage. Secondhand reports I've heard from runners who have played at these obstacle races reported a couple of advantages. First, they were able to get to the obstacles at the front of their respective waves and weren't caught up in the traffic jams at the obstacles. And second, some of the obstacles are purposely at the top of hills, and that tends to sort out the non-runners as well. But there's not that long-distance running cardio attrition factor where your fitness and pace determine who can keep up with you and who you can keep up with. The obstacles and the size of the crowd are natural bottlenecks that keep running between the obstacles from being a real advantage. Like most races, the elites don't get much traffic, but the crowd gets pretty thick in the mid-back. Certainly core aerobic fitness is important to stay the course, But overall, athleticism and strength are as important as the cardio. Why? Because you have to be able to get through the obstacle. If you can't climb the wall or carry the heavy things, you fail the obstacle and have to do 25 to 30 burpees as a penalty. And depending on what kind of shape you're in, that can take two to four minutes. And burpees are hard. They really wear you out. And they they get your heart rate up. After looking through some videos on YouTube, because that's what all the top scientific researchers do, I'll give you an overview and some of my impressions. The elite version of this race looks fairly gnarly. The obstacles seem to be beefed up for the elites and heavier and harder with uh, other things to do. And these folks are very athletic. They tend to be very fit and very lean. But when you get into the mid-pack, it's not so rigorous looking. The obstacles seem to be purposely toned down, and the crowd is much denser. You're more apt to be waiting for an obstacle or climbing over someone. The race encourages mid-packers to help each other. This way, obstacles that might be out of your physical reach, like scaling an 8-foot wall, you can do with a team, and it becomes doable. There's no time limit, as far as I know, and some of the mid-packers are moving quite slowly. And even some obviously unfit and unathletic people were navigating the course in the videos I saw. So in this way, it gives a fairly democratic challenge for both the elite athlete and the average Joe and Jill. So what are these obstacles? The obstacles on the course fall into a few general categories. There are various climbing obstacles involving scaling walls, structures, cargo nets, monkey bars, ropes. These are probably the most prevalent type of obstacles on the course. Then there are a few dragging and pulling type obstacles, like dragging or flipping a truck tire or a metal plate with sandbags. There are obstacles where you have to pull a rope through a pulley to lift a heavy weight off the ground. There are a couple carrying obstacles. And these involve either a sandbag, a heavy ball called a atlas stone, a five-gallon plastic bucket full of gravel, or even sometimes a log. You grab the weight and you have to carry it around a course or up a hill. It's a bit like the landscaping job from hell. There are quite a number of mud pits. 
mostly about knee-deep that you have to slide down into and walk across and then clamber out of. And it's mostly muddy water from the looks of it, but some of the mud is suck-your-shoe-off kind of mud. I think the real difficulty factor of these mud pits is that they make you slippery, and the next few obstacles slippery, and therefore harder. Some of the obstacles combine the water hazard with a rope swing or a climbing obstacle, and this gives you the added challenge of having to grip or climb with wet hands on wet obstacles. And that's a challenge. Then there are a couple of standard crawl or roll under barbed wire um, fence obstacles. There's a spear throw where you have to chuck a pointy stick at a target. And there's a memory station where you have to memorize a seven-digit number to report to someone later in the race. And lastly, there may be a fire pit to jump over at the finish because every race needs a good fire pit. Given the type of obstacles, having the right body type should be an advantage. Power to weight ratio is surely an advantage. If you have an extra 20 pounds to drag over those obstacles, it's going to be a penalty. Lean people are rewarded. Since the obstacles are standard heights, having a longer, rangier type of body with some reach will help as well. So how do you train for something like this? Well, having looked through the Spartan training manual and Joe's new book, Spartan Fit, most of the training is exercises that approximate the kind of pulling and climbing and carrying that you have to do in the race. One of the core Spartan training exercises is burpees. And a Spartan burpee is a clean burpee or a squat thrust with a push-up at the bottom and a jump at the top with your hands over your head. So these are pretty hard. Another recommended exercise is pull-ups, the forward grip pull-up that you would use like climbing over a wall or an obstacle. They do a lot of pull-ups. And finally, the Spartans really like squats. Spartan Fit Training loves burpees, pull-ups, and squats, and lots of them. Can you do 100 burpees? Can you do 25 pull-ups? Can you do 50 deadlift squats? Yeah, I can't either. Other than that, there is running mixed in and various carrying exercises. The Spartan Fit workouts are focused on that core strength with lots of lats and delts and glutes and hand strength. And this is the kind of strength it takes to climb a rope or pull yourself up and over a wall or do some really good yard work. Around these types of workouts, the plan in Joe's book, Spartan Fit, wraps in other lifestyle bits to get you comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's a bit of Spartan slash Stoic philosophy. Give yourself occasional doses of the thing you fear and you will cease to fear it. These include intermittent fasting, cold water plunges, exercising blindfolded, like kung fu, right? And abstaining from your online interaction because everyone knows the internet is evil. All things designed to make you comfortable with challenges you might find in everyday life. And that's the Spartan Fit workout. Do I think I can do this Spartan Beast? Well, yeah, I believe I could do it today because I have the endurance skills to suffer through just about anything. Am I designed for it? Eh, yes and no. I'm certainly fit enough for a guy my age, but I don't have the fast twitch muscles for jumping, and I don't have that upper body strength for all the climbing, and I probably need to beef up my core for carrying stuff. At one point in my life, I was a wrestler, 
and I could knock out those burpees and do all the rest of that crazy bodyweight stuff. But I haven't focused on any of that for a long time, and I'm going to have to work it into my training over the next 30 days so I don't embarrass myself. It seems to me that the plan, uh, the 30-day plan in the book is quite challenging. I don't know if I could recommend someone jumping off the couch and doing this. I would recommend doing these exercises only after consulting a coach. Even something as simple as a deadlift can really hurt you unless your form is good. And this is especially true if you're out of shape to begin with. So I would exercise caution, no pun intended. In the spring, I did some rock carrying in my garden, for for examples, and my back hurt for a week. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge with this type of training is how not to hurt yourself. You need to find a way to ease into it. And I would think there's a high risk of back and shoulder tweaking if not careful. So that being said, none of the obstacles seems to be anything where I'd react with, I can't do that. But I think if you string them together through the fatigue factor, it's going to come into play towards the end and you're going to be tired. They're going to be a bit more of a test. Could I climb over an eight-foot wall? Yeah, probably. Could I do it after 30 other obstacles? Yeah, we'll see. So in summary, it's an obstacle course race, like you've seen in any movie about army boot camp. Is it hard? Yeah, it certainly looks challenging. Am I afraid of it? Well, I have a healthy sense of self-preservation feeling about it. I don't think mine is the target age group anyhow. And I think we're in for an adventure, and maybe I'll even learn something. And now for today's featured interview. Joe, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. It looks like you're out to change the world, one Spartan at a time. Well, I like that. You've got a new book out to tell us how to do that. We're going to talk about that today. So when you give me the 200 words, if you can, I know with everything you've done, it's hard, but give me the 200 words on who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, sure. Basically, my name's Joe DeSeno, as you said. I woke up and grew up in Howard Beach, Queens, which is a little neighborhood with nicely cut lawns and brick Italian-style homes next to the worst neighborhood in New York, East New York, at least it was. And for whatever reason, was organized crime capital of the world. So young kids like myself aspired to be gangsters because that's what everybody that had money was. And uh, thankfully, my mother got us out, my sister and I. She got divorced from my dad, moved us to Ithaca, New York, showed us a different way, vegan style of eating, uh, meditation, yoga, endurance running. She stumbled upon an endurance run in Queens before we left for Ithaca. That was a 3,000 mile run around a one mile loop. Oh yeah, I know that one. That's a famous yeah, race. It's called the Transcendence Run. So as you can imagine, a young person that is envisioning going to jail because that's what everybody does that makes money at, in, in that neighborhood, right? And are you going to be able to do the time? And then uh, layered over that strict eating, meditating, endurance focused mother what comes out, I guess, is a Spartan. So I've always had these Spartan tendencies from that upbringing. And in 2010, it became clear that that's what I should be doing. So we started a Spartan race. At the time, my wife and I have, well, we still have four children. And we started in Vermont. And the goal was, could we rip people off the couch and get them thinking differently, the same way I was ripped out of the neighborhood. 
Can we get people eating healthy and exercising and sweating and waking up early and doing races? Because the competition element of the race and the nervousness of the starting gun gets you to change your habits. So that's it in a nutshell. How's the race doing in terms of is it growing? Are you guys expanding? That sort of thing. It's massive. We are in 30 plus countries, 180 plus events, a million participants globally, growing at a pace that keeps me awake at night. Yeah, it's massive. Clearly people needed it. So this is not your first rodeo. You've started businesses and sold them before. You're a very successful guy at a fairly young age, which sort of allowed you to start this. So did you get to a point where you said you had that personal epiphany yourself where you got into the endurance sports big time? Did you sort of, when you got to that point in your life where you could do something, say, no, I'm going to try and project that out into the world, take this gift I got and give it to other people? No doubt about it. I was so blessed to have found, like my mother guided me in that way and then found endurance racing myself, very long distance adventure races all over the planet and had a blast doing them and then roped other people in and started doing long, long bike rides and tremendously long runs and Ironmans and I just fell in love with it all. And since I, I am an entrepreneur and have been since pre-teens, I couldn't help myself. Yeah, I mean, when... You tell people you ran the Vermont 100 and the Tahoe Ironman and Badwater in one week. A lot of people won't know what that means, but I do. And even to me, that's nuts, Joe. Yeah, that was a tough week. Take a couple days off to recover, did you? This is going to sound crazy, but I'm a believer, and I know I experienced it myself, that you actually get more efficient and healthier the more you stack those things together. So for me, and I was never fast at any of these events, but my best performances were on the heels of another big event. So going into an Ironman, for example, if I had done a 24-hour adventure race the weekend before, it was like a joke doing the Ironman. I'm just a believer that the body has this fight or flight mechanism we talk about all the time in the textbooks, and it will get more efficient and healthier and stronger as you're doing longer and longer distance event, in my opinion, doesn't actually break down. My fastest time that week you referenced was actually the last 15 miles of the 135-mile run through Badwater. I set a course record there. And again, I'm a turtle. I am so slow. But at that point, I had already run 220 miles. Yeah, I'm not patting myself on the back. That's not what I'm meaning to say. What I'm meaning to say is I think you actually get stronger and faster. Yeah, after a while, and I think it takes a while, it takes a couple years of doing it, your body just gets this big base that you can then use, right? Yeah. As long as you're not going to failure the whole time, as long as you're grinding it out, yeah. your body it just doesn't stop. That's right. I'm reading through your Spartan stuff now. It's more than get in shape. It's transform your life, right? It's like you're trying to start a movement. So what is it about today's world that you want to start this movement? Well, today's world is a mess. The pendulum has swung too far in the wrong direction. People are unhealthy. I'm sitting in front of a computer right now talking to you. Sitting is the new smoking. We are less and less active. I had one of my office mates yesterday taking the elevator up five floors as I took the stairs. And I said, I don't understand. What are you doing? And she said, oh, well, I worked out in the gym this morning. So hey. the mindset is, oh, if you go in the gym and you get on the stairmaster or whatever most people do in the gym, that's enough. And it's not enough. The human body was meant to be active all day. 
And so we sit, we're lethargic, we eat shitty foods. Hopefully I'm allowed to curse on this thing. I apologize. Sure. And then we're expecting the body to perform when we need it to perform. It doesn't work that way. So it's almost like we've taken exercise and said, okay, exercise is good, so I'm going to turn that into another pill I take. That's right. Yeah. So what about the Spartan race or the Spartan movement? What makes that special? What makes it special is it's extremely difficult and challenging, and it's very athletic. It's a sport we created that's meant to be an Olympic sport. What that means is everything we do, everything we think about, everything we create is athletic in nature. And it's meant to push you beyond your limits in such a way that it's going to force you to change your habits. You are going to say, you know what, I better take the stairs instead of the elevator. I better wake up early. I better put that extra drink down or that extra dessert, whatever it is, because I have this difficult challenge coming up. That's the only thing. you got to scare people and scare people straight. You got to scare them out of their current habits. And it applies to everybody. I mean, look, at, look around the street, go to a shopping mall or a movie. I mean, most people, and the stats will tell you this, are, are diabetic, overweight, unhealthy, sick, taking all kinds of pharmaceutical drugs. And we've got to change that. And the only way you change that, you don't change it by doing a color run because it doesn't scare you straight. You change that by putting something so challenging in front of the person and somehow convincing them to sign up that they say, I've got to change the way I live so that I can survive this thing. And I see that a lot, even with marathons and triathlons, you've got a segment of the folks who aren't that healthy. You can run a marathon or you can do a triathlon. You've got to be a healthy person, but their lifestyle is not that healthy, right? I agree. This is a special event because it's nonspecific. Right. So if you look at I run marathons, very specific. Right. Yep. If you want that time, here's what you have to do for a triathlon. It's three disciplines, but it's still very specific to those disciplines. With the Spartan race, you're mixing it up. It's very nonspecific and you're doing that on purpose. Right. I'm trying to create a, an entire body challenge. So if you look at a marathon runner, even an Ironman, they don't look extremely fit. They don't look like a perfect specimen. And when you look at the starting line of the elite Spartans, it's like, oh, what planet did these men and women come from? This is unbelievable. And that's because it's an entire body and mind challenge. So what's the mental part of it? Well, the mental part is just the obstacles, right? So the obstacles you face, you get to the top of a mountain in Scotland after climbing, crawling, etc. And there's an Atlas ball that's 85 pounds you've got to lift and carry. And so mentally you're broken. It just took everything you had to get to the top of the mountain. And now you've got to lift this thing. Or you're expecting the course to be exactly 12 miles. At the mile marker 12, there's another, there's another two miles to go, right? And most people can't handle that. We are all prepared to do what we're told. It's going to be exactly three miles. But when there's an extra two miles, it's like, I'm not prepared. I can't do that. Right. So it's the unexpected. That, that breaks throws, people. Yeah. Yeah, it breaks people. But in terms of training, you know, we talked about transforming people. And the first step, or at least one of the steps in any of these things is that mental trigger, right? Is trying to get people to go from saying, I can't, to, okay, how do I do that, right? Yep. And I think we see a lot of that today as well. What You ask people, hey, do you want to do this race? They'll say, oh, I can never do that, yep. right? And of course they could, right? Anybody could. 
Yep. yep. You just got to do it. So how do you get people to flip that switch? Well, it's a lot of cajoling. It's friends. We are all an average of our five best friends. So you got to have friends around you that are pulling you up and not pulling you down. So it's not easy. I was in, in Amsterdam in an airport and a person saw my Spartan shirt and we started talking and she starts telling, she doesn't know who I am. And she starts telling me about, oh my God, those Spartan rates are crazy. I saw them on TV. You do those. And she says that her training uh, consists of a three and a half hour routine every single day, seven days a week. And I said, oh, you're going to do a Spartan? She said, no way, I could never handle that. So it's a scary proposition, even for somebody that trains three and a half hours a day. And it doesn't need to be. It's really the biggest challenge is getting the mouse out on your computer and clicking register. That's the biggest challenge. You can get that done, you'll get to the finish line. Yes, that's the key. And there's a couple of places where the switch will flip. One is, you know, you register for it. And you either train well or you don't, but when you show up and do it, it's either going to kick your ass or it's probably going to kick your ass. But that experience can create an epiphany at that point, right? You see people come out of the race, even if they get their asses kicked, they have that epiphany and then they're turned on for life, right? Yep. They become Spartans and they are complete mad men or women. So you have this uh, sort of community you built built around this, Joe. And what's the community like? You could spot them in a gym. I was working out early this morning and uh, you could look around and see who the Spartans are, right? And I actually wanted to create an infographic I was thinking this morning, but they're not bench pressing. They're not your father's gym rat. This is, this right. is a different breed of people that will probably show up at a, on a soup line and help people. They'll help do charitable things. They're not super wealthy individuals, but there are a ton of executives in the population they're just good, down-to-earth people. You get along with, and I'm not saying it because it's my company. It's just somehow we attracted the people that had Spartan tendencies deep down inside. So you really can see the difference in this community. So I'm looking at your 30-day uh, training program, and it's pretty intense, right? I mean, you're saying that you could bring somebody off the couch to do this, but I don't know. You know, can people who are 30 pounds overweight sitting at a desk go out and do 10 pull-ups or 30 burpees? You might not be able to do 30 burpees in a row or at a high speed, but you'd get 30 burpees. Then you take a break in between. Whatever you need to do to get it done. I had a 696-pound guy come out. Didn't know what a Spartan race was. Somehow signed up. It took him seven and a half hours to do the sprint, which takes most people under an hour. And anybody could do it. It's just, I used to say, if we're doing a 100-mile run and I'm in great shape, I might get tired at mile 20. You're going to get tired at mile three. But now we're both tired. Right now, what's your, yeah. what's your next move? Yeah, right? it's what happens after that, what right? After that. So anyway, anybody could do this. It's just, do you have the head for pushing? And the funny thing for me is so many people have come up with excuses that seem so logical. Oh, that's ridiculous or this or that. Okay, well, sitting in front of a TV or a computer all day is ridiculous. That was not what this body was meant to do. And the mind sits inside of the body and the mind will be healthier sitting inside of a healthy body. So I don't know how to better explain that. Yeah, it's that same thing you talk about, Stephen Pressfield and, and the resistance. It's the same thing, right? I've been doing this for years, and your mind is always going to come up with reasons why you shouldn't do it. Yeah, That never goes away. You just have to get skilled at putting that aside and doing it anyhow. That's right. Yeah, it's interesting. So as a runner, I'm a distance runner. I, I get a lot of distance runners listening to this. They're going to go out and take on a Spartan race, Joe. What do they have to do? If you're a distance runner, you're going to have to start working the upper body. <laughs> you've got to do burpees and you've got to do pull-ups. And if you can only do one burpee and you can only do one pull-up, great. Take a break, do another one. Take a break, do another one. 
And at a minimum, you got to do 30 a day of each. And before you know it, you get a little better. Right. I was terrible at pull-ups. My whole life, I was terrible at pull-ups. But I do them. I do my 50 a day, and they suck every time I do them, but you do them. Yeah, so you start with just the hang if you can't do a pull-up. A lot of this, when you talk to the, the CrossFit guys and the core guys, the guys who are doing these sort of bodyweight exercises, they really emphasize form because you can hurt yourself if you don't have the form, right? How do you figure out that form if you're all by yourself? How do you get form coaching is, on It's tough. The good news is you grab Spartan Fit, and we break down with imagery a lot of methodology on how to do these exercises. But the good news is today with YouTube, you could look up um, any exercise online. So it's easy to find the proper form and, and emulate it. Okay. So do you have folks, I mean, in this community, you've got a lot of people who are, who are very fervent about their, their, you know, it's become a thing for them. These people, they build their own obstacles in their yards and have fun little local maker CrossFit Spartan things. Oh, oh my God, there's communities all over the world. It's insane. Yeah. Have you been surprised walking around the world, coming someplace and this guy's built the climbing ropes and the, all the stuff in his backyard? No doubt about it. It's craziness out there uh, in backyards in front yards in gyms uh, you're seeing obstacles being built it's a community that quite frankly i didn't know was going to stick because i spent so much money trying to get this thing to stick in the early days and it was hard it's a hard sell to get people we're selling discipline we're not selling handbags and perfume so it's a tough thing to sell but it finally stuck and I think it's stuck because when you build a community you're talking about, then they tell two friends and so on and so on, right? Like that old TV commercial. Yeah, it's got to be word of mouth. You almost have to do it with apostles, so to speak. No doubt about it. Yeah. You say it's hard to sell, right? But the act itself is hard, but you do have a clear set of pain that you can access to sell this, which is the disease and the discomfort and the, all that stuff. And you do have a clear set of benefits that you can you know, sell as well, right? The hard part is just making the bridge between one to the other. No doubt about it. The benefits are uh, undisputed. It's getting the person to commit to anything. Think about how many would-be husbands can't commit to marriage. It's hard to get somebody to commit. That's the part I struggle with because if you can get them past that first mile or get them past that first push-up, then you can start to establish a habit. It's that first 30 days, and I guess that's what you're trying to do with this book, right? That's it. We recognize that if there's a million people a year doing it, there's nine million people a year saying no. If we can't get them out on the course, could we get them doing a green juice instead of a wine or a beer? Could we get them giving up coffee and just drinking some water? Can we get them doing some burpees instead of sitting on a couch all day? So again, the mission for us is getting people healthy. If I had my way and the Vatican, for example, wanted to just fund this whole operation, I would do it for free. I just love getting people up and transforming them and getting a sweat. But we got to charge people to make it work. And the other thing is you got to charge people. Sorry to go up on a tangent here. you got to charge people because if they don't pay, they're not on the hook, right? Right. And if they're not on the hook, well, I couldn't make it that day. My dog got sick. My grandmother died. So paying also does yeah. that. Yeah, it's not real until you hit the register button. That's right. Then it becomes real. So do you ever have any fears that people start to sort of fetishize all this stoicism and Spartan legend stuff and could go the wrong way? Well, we don't want people waking up and uh, throwing babies off a cliff if that did really happen uh, back in Sparta, right? We don't want uh, right. some of the things uh, they did. But, boy, if we were a little more stoic, if we took cold showers instead of hot ones, if we ate 
a little less if we had a little more humor and a little more grit it would be a pretty good thing for the world so no yeah i don't want everybody walking around with spears and skirts on but um (laughs) (laughs) but uh i do want to i look at donald trump and hillary no matter who you like or 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 if you don't like either of them they both look incredibly unhealthy oh yeah incredibly unhealthy and and i want my president whoever it is to be fit well, you know uh, Gary Johnson, the uh, Libertarian's an Iron Man. There you go. So there you go. I'm not saying anything. There you but go. Just saying. Yep. The guy's an Iron Man. Nice. So I'm with you on that. I do the same thing. I look at somebody like Chris Christie, and I go, how can this guy lead? He's about to drop dead from a friggin' heart attack. I know. So I see it, and I travel a lot too, Joe, with my job, and I see it every day in airplanes and hotel rooms and just people wheezing around. In some sense, it makes you sad, right? Because yeah. it's so easy, and you know that these folks are just missing this part of their life. Everything in your life is better. If you do the stuff we're talking about, everything in your life is better. Yeah, it's so much better. And when you get on the other side and you're looking through it, you go, why put yourself through this suffering for years and years when the only thing you really have to do is put down the pizza? I got bad news. I got to run right now. Yeah, that's okay. We're going to move you towards the exit anyhow. So thanks for talking to me. I'm looking forward to this adventure. I may try your 30-day plan, although... uh, I don't know if I have the upper body strength for this, you, but um, we'll see. If you want, you write a, a little thing. You follow the plan and do a write-up. I'll post it every day for you. And um, what you should do, why don't we have a little <laughs> challenge for your listeners? I've got this big event coming up we put on in China on the Great Wall hmm. called the China Agogi. It's going to be 60 hours of hell. It's like an exorcism. <laughs> <laughs> I'd give a free entry to anybody. If you can come up with a challenge to your audience, let's give them a free entry to that thing if they achieve it. I'll let you come up with it. (laughs) All right, we'll do that. But uh, I don't know. That's one of those uh, things you never want to win, you know? (laughs) There you go. It's like when I get an entry to the Mount Washington Road Race. I'm like, gee, great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks, man. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Yep. Bye-bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. What is all this Spartan talk, anyhow? Humans have this cultural knack for latching on to ideas like the latest fad. At any point in time, certain topics, historical people, or philosophies are on the upswing or are at the top of the cultural hive mind. It seems Spartans and Stoics are currently on the cultural upswing. Some of this is probably due to our Western society feeling a bit culturally unhinged right now. Humans like to have absolutes in their lives, and one of the byproducts of our modern society is fewer absolutes, more individual freedoms, and the affluence to worry about it. We have a well-intentioned tendency to look to the past to find answers. Unfortunately, we sometimes cherry-pick the bits we like and confuse mythology with history. First of all, Spartan and Stoic are two different things. Some of the Spartans may have been Stoics or had Stoic tendencies, but those are different things. The reason they get lumped together is that both the Spartans and the Stoics believed in the value of self-discipline and austerity and a healthy dose of privation for people and society. And this is really the why-do-you-care part of this story as you listen to this, because our current society has some of the same challenges. Once you have achieved affluence as a society, 
How do you counteract the human tendency to rest on your laurels and devolve into a debaucherous state? So let's start with the Spartans. Yes, there was a city-state called Sparta. Sparta was actually the name of the city. That was one of a number of regional powers in the Peloponnese, which is what the area of the Greek archipelago is called. And they were a regional power around 500 years before the birth of Christ. And they did lead a combined alliance of Greek forces against Persians, and they were rivals with the Athenians and ended up conquering Athens, but losing to Thebes in the Peloponnesian Wars. The reason we hear so much about them is that they had a unique system of governance and a unique culture, even for their time. The other Greeks were fascinated with them and thus built up a popular mythology around the Spartans that has persisted until our days. The source documents that we get this mythology from are not from the Spartans themselves. Most of it is not even from contemporary Greeks. Most of the people quoting this stuff, they will talk about later historians like Plutarch, who were writing 200 to 500 years later. You've got to take all that with a grain of salt and realize that a good portion of the history at the time was mythology. The Genesis legend is that a king named Lycurgus gave the Spartans their constitution around the core values of the three Spartan virtues, equality, military fitness, and austerity. And early on in the formation of Sparta, they came in and they conquered the local population and turned them into, well, slaves is the wrong word, more like medieval serfs. So then the Spartans had a problem. They were outnumbered eight to one by their serfs. And the way they addressed this was to have a professional full-time military, which was a unique thing before Julius Caesar came along. All of the Spartan men were therefore highly trained, military, elite class, and all the serfs, known as helots, did all the work. The trade-off for the Spartans was they didn't have to do any work in the fields, but they had to have a full-time professional army with all the people in it <laughs> all the time. So the closest thing in our modern history would be a national socialist movement. This is a culture where the nation is the most important thing, and the individual only exists in so much to support the nation. In this way, all of the citizens are equal in their subservience to the goals of the nation and the ideals of the nation. And the ideals of Sparta were military fitness and austerity. So whenever you see a nation taking children away from their parents to be socialized into a nationalist movement, whenever you see a fetishism of the military or extreme austerity as a route to purity, you see echoes of the Spartan mythology. As you have probably already guessed, Hitler was a big fan of the Spartans for their devotion to nationalist philosophies and their racial dominance over the helots. Yes, the Spartans existed. Yes, their cultural system made them really good at waging war and a dominant regional power for a couple hundred years in Greece. 
But be careful when you're holding up the Spartans as cultural heroes. Be able to sort the history from the mythology. And you can't just take the cool stuff and throw out the icky stuff. So what's the connection to the Stoics? The basic connection is that the Stoic believed that how you lived was the best demonstration of your nature. And this meant that the practice of personal austerity in the way you lived helped you be better aligned with nature. And this austerity hook is how Sparta and Stoics get lumped together in our current popular culture that is apparently too busy being austere to open Wikipedia. Stoicism was, is a branch of Greek philosophy founded by a guy called Zeno of Sidium around 300 BC. Zeno was like Elvis. He only had a first name. Stoicism was very popular in Greco-Roman times, but was eventually snuffed out by Justinian because, you know, Christianity didn't have room under its tent for any other philosophies. One of the reasons so much Stoic thought made it to our times is that they had a couple of great cheerleaders, and the texts survived from antiquity intact. This sounds simple, but it's basically a miracle that these primary source writings from over 2,000 years ago survived the Dark Ages. Most of what we know about antiquity, we have to tease out of second and third-hand accounts. The first of those cheerleaders of the Stoics was Seneca the Younger, whose letters are a great and quite readable example of Stoic thought in the form of homey letters of advice to a young friend. Now, poor old Seneca the Younger ended up being on the wrong side of Nero, and we know how that turns out. The second Stoic cheerleader was the great philosopher king, Emperor Marcus Aurelius himself. Good old Marcus kept a diary of his Stoic thought in which he gave himself pep talks while wandering about Germany bashing barbarians. The irony being that these were his personal journals and were supposed to be destroyed on his death. I think what resonates so well with us and with all ages is that the Stoics were basically talking common sense. They knew the tendency of power and wealth to corrupt. And they were trying to figure out a way to have power and wealth and still be good people true to their nature. Sound familiar? It's the struggle of successful people across the ages. Now that I have everything, how do I lead a good life? And so, my friends, that is my nickel tour of Spartans and Stoics. Now you can be the one to bitch slap the wannabe Stoics and Spartans at your next cocktail party. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Well, my friends, you have carried, climbed, and crawled through a mud pit to the end of episode 4-346 of the Run Run Live podcast. I have a knock-knock joke for you that you can tell your kids. Are you ready? Knock-knock. And you're supposed to say, who's there? And I say, old lady. And you say, old lady who? And I say, hey, I didn't know you could yodel. See, one of the great cultural advantages to being at my stage of life is I can tell dad jokes. <laughs> and it doesn't matter whether nobody else thinks it's funny. I think it's funny. 
Next up for me is the Wapak Trail Race. Have you signed up yet? Even though I'm rehabbing my Achilles right now, I am looking forward to Wapak. It's my favorite kind of trail race. It's long enough to be interesting at 18 miles, but not long enough to worry about. It's technical enough to be interesting with lots of single path and roots and rocks and mountains. But that same technical nature keeps you from getting too serious about it. And it's a nice small race with good people. I'll try to get in under eh, four hours. And I think there's a good overlap between the training I'm doing for these technical trail races and the Spartan core strength I'm developing to manage them as well. The week after that is the Spartan race. And I haven't figured out the logistics for that yet. It's in Vermont. And then in October, I signed up for the Portland Marathon. And in December, we'll have the fourth annual Groton Marathon if we can pull it off. I'm staying busy. Life has its seasons. One thing I'm wondering about as I see the notices for the early registration options is the Boston Marathon. After training well and not getting my time last year, I honestly don't know if I want to or deserve to run it in 2017. I do still believe I can run a qualifying time. It's a question of when to fit it into my life. I'm certainly not going to run a qualifying time before September when the times are due. I jump an age group in 2018. And I'd like to have at least 20 Bostons, but I'd like to earn them. I don't know. I truly do not know. It's probably time for a change. But a bit of learning I can give you kids, I'll I'll write more on this at some point, is about how you age athletically. And when you look at the literature, you see the ability of an athlete tailing off in a nice shallow straight curve. It shows athletes slowly losing their abilities, measured in finishing times, as they age. The curve drops a couple percentage points at a time, over time. And in my experience, that's not how it works. Like everything else in the human experience, this process is nonlinear. It's unpredictable, and it's specific to the individual. What I've found is that I have lost my speed in chunks, mostly as a result of injuries. The line is more like a series of waves, where after 50 years old or so, each subsequent wave crests a bit lower than the last one. And the real question is not the performance line. The real question is the fulfillment line, the challenge line, the happiness line. The tricky task at hand is how to continue, as our friend Peter says, to run with joy as the performance line trends down and the waves of aging break relentlessly against the breakwaters of youth. The answer, I think, is to remember to be grateful. Grateful for the victories, grateful for the challenges, and grateful, frankly, just for the chance to get up today and breathe the deep, humid air of this good earth. Take a deep breath right now with me, my friends. That's life in your lungs. So let's celebrate. And I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry.